0: But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? We good? The sun is shining. I am not complaining about that. Uh, Well, man, we are in our last week of our series, In God We Trust. And even before we jump in today, I just want to give you a little preview of what is coming next for us as a church. And so... Uh, as you know, this is Lent that we are in right now, Lent season, and so next week we're starting a series called I Am, where we're actually looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus himself from the Gospel of John, and it's going to culminate with a Good Friday service here at New Life on April 7, where we're going to take communion together and talk about the statement, I am the bread of life. And then Easter Sunday is going to be the final week of the series where we talk about Jesus' statement from John, I am the resurrection and the life. And so I'm really, really excited about where God is taking us moving into Easter here as a church. Uh, But before we get to that, I am really excited for what God has for us today. Um, And so Hattie was a young six-year-old girl who lived in Philadelphia in the 1800s. And little Hattie was part of a growing church called Grace Baptist Church. And Hattie began to notice something in her Sunday school room. She began to notice that her Sunday school room was starting to fill up and there were lots of kids and it was starting to get too full for her to go into. And so she went up to her pastor and little Hattie said to him, Hey pastor, like I'm noticing our Sunday school room is getting really, really full. How do we make space for more people to come? How do we make space for more kids? I'm scared to go in there alone. It's so full. And the pastor said, you know, maybe one day God will bless us with a a larger facility, a larger space so that every child who wants to come to Sunday school can. Now fast forward two years, little six-year-old Hattie tragically passed away. And underneath her pillow, her mom had found a little bag with a note. And her mom brought this note to her pastor at her funeral, same pastor she had talked to. And in the little bag was 57 cents and a little note that says, so we can build bigger so that more kids can come to Sunday school. Now, this pastor was so moved by this little act of faith by this little girl that what he did is he took these 57 cents, and he, he divided them up into pennies, and he sold each penny. And in return, he got back $250. And moved by that, he took that $250 and split that up into pennies, and sold those, and actually began a foundation in Hattie's honor. Now, 26 years later, this pastor stood in front of a group of people, and he said, all because of the faith, Of a little girl who who gave 57 cents, a church with 5,600 members was birthed. Thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people have received medical care in a hospital because of this little girl's faith. 80,000 students have gone to university on different scholarships and have provided opportunities. 2,000 people have been called into pastoral and missionary ministry, all because a little girl gave 57 cents to see God move. Church, it never ceases to amaze me what God will do when his people make offerings with bold faith that he will multiply. I want to share a second story with you. There's a a local pastor in Kentucky named Zach Meerkriebs. And just a few weeks ago, Zach got on a stage in a small university, and he preached a sermon. And he got off the stage feeling so defeated so dejected, feeling like he had just utterly failed God and the students that he was speaking to. He, he texted his wife. He said, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. And after that service, 30 students stuck around and continued worshiping. And that became the Asbury Awakening, where thousands of students around the country right now as we speak are continuing to worship And to praise Jesus, Zach didn't start that revival, God did. But it never ceases to amaze me when we offer what we have in faith, what God will do to multiply it, to grow it, and to do what only he can with it. And so today's principle is painfully simple, but if we understand this and more importantly live this principle out, God will transform this region through New Life Church. God will transform this region through the people sitting in this room, through the people watching it online, if we understand this. And the principle is this, God grows what we offer in faith. God grows what we choose to offer to him in faith. Church, what if God is wanting to pour out his Spirit in a fresh way on people who are willing to offer him everything in bold faith for him to do what only he can do. What if we lived bold, obedient, risky faith that puts God to the test, as Jess already said, that puts God to the test, and we saw our region transformed because New Life Church refused to play it safe with what God had given us that we actually chose as a church to step out in bold, risky faith. See, here's what I know. If you're in Christ, you're going to stand before God one day, and he's going to ask you one question. It's a question that I find myself asking every single day of my life. It's the question he is going to ask every single one of his followers one day when we stand before him, and it's this question right here. What did you do with what you had? (laughs) What did you do with what you had? It is the thing that he cares about. And so, as we dive into our text today, I want to invite you into Matthew 25. And Matthew 25 is a parable. It's a pretty well known parable where Jesus is speaking to this group of Pharisees. He's speaking to this group of extremely devout religious people. He's speaking to a group of people that ties regularly that does the motions, that goes through all of the right steps when it comes to just the religious walk, I mean, they are in lockstep with the law. And yet, these are the same people that just a few chapters earlier, he said, woe to you hypocrites. You tithe and you give and you give 10%, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law that we talked about last week. This is the same group of people that Jesus is telling this parable to. And I want you to pay attention at what he is getting at here as we read this. So, Matthew uh, chapter 25, verses 14 through uh, 15 is where we'll start. Jesus is speaking here. He says, For it will be, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property to one he gave 5 talents to another 2 to another one to each according to his ability then he went away so keep in mind he's telling this parable to a group of tithers to a group of religiously devout people guys who give 10% that's going to be important later on keep that in the back of your mind but the story that Jesus is telling here is there's three people three guys and this master is entrusting his wealth to these three guys. Now, if you know anything about like biblical currency, this is a massive amount of money that he is trusting each of these guys with. A single talent in Jesus' day was equivalent to 20 years of wages, okay? So the first guy, he's given five talents. That's 100 years of wages to. The second guy, he gives two talents, that's, uh, holy cow, my math is bad, 40 years of wages. And then the last guy, one talent, that's 20 years of wages. So none of these guys is re, are receiving a small amount of money. Okay, and when it says this master entrusted his servants with his money, the expectation, the cultural expectation, if you read between the lines, what Jesus is getting at here is they were expected to do something with it, right? What, what are you going to do with what you have? Now, if you're anything like me, the very first question I find myself asking when I read this story is this. Which one am I? (laughs) Anybody else? Am I the five-talent guy? Am I the two-talent guy? Am I the one-talent guy? I find myself usually settling into like the two-talent guy because, you know, there's not too much pressure to be the five, but you're not. Anyways, I think that's a really, really Kind of Western kind of way to think about it, an Americanized way to think about it. Which one am I? How much do I have? Am I the five talent guy? Am I the two talent guy or the one talent guy? This is a profoundly backwards way to read this story. Because when we read this story, we find ourselves focusing as a starting point on what we don't have, right? Like if I'm the one talent guy, I'm asking myself, why don't I have two talents? If I'm the two-talent guy, I'm asking myself why I don't have five talents. If I'm the five-talent guy, I'm asking myself why I don't have ten talents. And we all do this in our lives, if we're honest. I do this. There are times where I look out at other churches and what they are doing as a pastor, and I think to myself, why can't we have the resources they have? Or why can't we have the influence they have? And I find myself asking these questions, and every single time I find myself wandering down that road, God gently and lovingly reminds me that when I go to that place, when I focus on what I don't have as the starting point of his story, my faith stagnates. I become paralyzed to do his will. I go into protection mode. I go down a road that's not good. And this isn't just a pastor issue. We all do this, right? We, we tell our stories often through the lens of what we don't have. They got that promotion, right? They're getting that new truck. They got that spouse. We all know this. They just bought what? We all do this. We, we start, we go into the story, and we start from the place of what we don't have. But that's never where Jesus starts with our stories. He does not start with where we lack, I love this quote from author Andrew Murray. He's written some incredible stuff, but he says this. He says, the world asks, what does a man own? Right, that's, that's the starting point for a lot of us. What does a man own? Jesus asks a different question. Jesus asks, how does he use what he owns? How does he use it? You see, guys, when we focus on what we don't have, we are declaring the end of the story before God is ever able to get a hold of it. When we focus on what we don't have, we're declaring the end of the story before God ever gets a hold of it. It's like that picture in the four Gospels of Jesus preaching to tens of thousands of people, 5,000 men plus women and children. And he's been preaching for hours and hours all day long. And it comes to the end of the day, and his disciples come to him and say, Hey, these people, they're getting pretty hangry around here, okay? Like, they're getting hungry, We need to send them away because we don't have any way to feed them. They declared the end of the story before Jesus ever got a hold of what they had. And Jesus says, what do you have? I said, well, all we have are these five loaves of bread and these two fish. And the moment that is offered in faith, what does Jesus do with it? He multiplies it. He grows it. See, guys, God grows consistently. It is his method of using our faith. He grows what we offer him or what we give in faith every single time. God grows what we offer in faith. Is my life marked by bold moves of faith where God says give and I say how much, where God says go and I say where, when God says trust and I am all in for him, or is my life marked by what I don't have? by what I lack, by what the person living or sitting next to me has that I don't. See, Jesus takes this story further, and each of these guys who is entrusted with talents does something with these talents. If you read on in the next two verses here, verses 16 through 18, this is what happens. He who had received the five talents, won at once and traded with them, and he had five more talents. So he's got ten now. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So you have one guy who has five talents, and he is willing to take a bold risk of faith. It says he trades and he barters to gain five more talents. You have the second guy who does something similar, but then you have the third guy who plays it safe. He offers nothing, and so he had nothing to show for it. He buried and protected what God had given him. He buried and protected it. There was a, there was once a man who was walking through the Vatican with the Pope, and the Pope was showing him all of the riches of the church, right? All of the lavish, ornate architecture and art and all of the stuff in the Vatican. I mean, just overwhelmed by the the glory of it all, just the riches and the opulence of it all. And the Pope proudly turned to the guy, and he said, no longer does the church have to say the words of St. Peter, silver and gold, I have none. And the guy turned to the Pope, and you know what he said? He said, well, neither can the church say the words of the St. Peter to the lame man, rise up and walk. In other words, it has nothing to do with what you have and everything to do with how you use it. That's what Jesus is after here. That is the principle that Jesus is after, that you have buried and protected the resource. You haven't stewarded it in a way that allows God to do what only he can do. Like I was just talking about a few minutes ago, when we control every single variable first of all, we find ourselves in a place where we find out that control is just an illusion to begin with because there's always unpredictable parts of life. But when we control every single part of our lives, we actually never release it to the God who promises to multiply, who promises to take it and do what only he can with it. Some of us We've never seen God move in our lives because we haven't taken bold steps of faith that actually invite Him and make space and make room for Him to do just that in our lives. I want that for us. I want that for you. I want that for our church. What if God, once again, asked this question what if God poured out His Spirit fresh on this church because we refused to play it safe when it came to offering Him everything? What if God poured out his spirit on this church because we refused to play it safe when it came to offering him everything? See, the master returns to these guys and he asks each to them, what do you have to show with what I gave you? How did you use what I gave you? And watch what happens in verse 25 here of, of the same chapter as Jesus kind of continues to tell this story. He goes to the first guy, and the first guy says, I have 10 talents. I multiplied it. The second guy says, um, I've doubled the talents. I have four talents. I've multiplied it. But watch what happens with the third guy. He says, I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. I was afraid. I was motivated by fear. And so I buried and I protected what you gave us. You know, this is ultimately a picture of Jesus in his church, this parable that he's telling here. That Jesus right now is the master who has gone away for a time, but make no mistake about it, he will return. And he will ask his church, what did you do with what you had What did you do with the talents and the resources and the people? Like, this is something I will be held accountable for as a pastor. What did you do with what I entrusted to you? Every single one of us. Every single one of us will be asked this question by Jesus. And what I don't want to be is the person who says, I was afraid, and so I buried and protected. I want to be the person who can stand before Jesus and say, I offered everything. I lived out bold, risky, obedient faith. We did not play it safe as a church. We stepped out in faith. We stepped out in generosity. We stepped out of our comfort zone. We allowed God to stretch us, and we stepped out into that unknown place where he does his best work in our lives. See, friends, it's in this place, in this bold and risky faith place where you get to see God move in ways where you otherwise would not get to see him move, where you get to see him do the miraculous, where you get to see and witness the God who says to the lame man, rise up and walk. But it starts with us offering what we have in faith for him to do that. Um, And so Jesus kind of sums up this whole story in verse 29. Verse 29, he he summarizes it this way. He says, This to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that God is a God of multiplication. He is a God who multiplies that God grows what his people give in faith, what his people offer in faith. It's not how much you have, it's what do you do with what he has entrusted you with. Remember, he's talking to a group of tithers here And he's asking this question, are you willing to step out in faith with what you have to see God multiply, to see God step in and do what only he can do? Because it's in this place where our testimonies come alive, where we can actually share with each other, this is what God is doing in my life because I stepped out in faith and he has chosen, he is so merciful and gracious to partner with someone like me as imperfect and as broken as I am, to step out in faith and watch him do what he can do. That is a testimony we're sharing. That is a story we're sharing with other people. That is where God does his best work. God is in the faith-multiplying business. I want to make it abundantly clear. Jesus never promises that your faithfulness in the area of finances will lead you to more wealth and opulence. That's not what he's getting at here. He's promising you growth in your faith. He's promising you growth and abundance in your witnessing of God moving and working and doing what only he can do. Because I want more for us as a church. And not just more for the sake of more. I want more testimonies of his power. I want more evidences of his Holy Spirit being poured out. I want more of him. What if we as a church refused to play it safe and we went all in for Jesus because we wanted more? You see, last week we said a tithe is just returning the first 10% of my income back to God for the building of his house and the expanding of his kingdom. That's how we define tithe. But Jesus over and over and over again says this, I am not just after your tithe. I'm not just after your 10%. I'm after an offering. And an offering is this. An offering is leaving nothing in my life off limits to the God who multiplies what is given in faith. That's what an offering is. A tithe is just a starting point. A tithe is a good kind of marker. But an offering is when Jesus comes and he says, come and follow me. Take up your cross, drop everything. An offering is when he calls the rich young ruler to follow him and the rich young ruler won't do it because he's sad and he has great wealth. He can't give it up. See, Jesus is not after 10% in our lives. Jesus is after everything and nothing less than that. See, God's chosen way of moving in the world is not addition, it's multiplication. And I'm going to give you a really quick math lesson here, okay? This is dangerous for me because I'm horrible at math, but I'm going to try. So here's how addition works. You can start with zero. And what's zero plus one? One. What's zero plus two? Two, right? You can start with zero, nothing, and add to it and have a large sum at the end. God hasn't chosen to use his people's faith in that way. God's chosen multiplication. What's zero times one? Zero. What's zero times 10? Zero. What's zero times one billion two hundred thirty-three Zero. See, if my life, starts with zero, and it's not me offering him anything. His chosen method is the one-talent guy. You buried him protected. You didn't do anything with what you were given. And yet, just like Hattie and just like Zach, when we make the choice to offer what we have in bold, obedient faith, he takes our one, our two, our three, whatever it might be, and he multiplies it in a way that only he can. God is a God of multiplication. And so I don't always get this right in my life. This is something that God has been and is teaching me. And so I want to take you back just a few years ago. There have been a number of times where God has really chosen to stretch and multiply mine and my wife's faith, specifically in this area. I remember several years ago, we were early on in our marriage, we were young, dumb, 20-somethings. Not saying all 20-somethings are young and dumb, but we were, okay? And so we were young and dumb, and we both owned a small business. Together, we were in business full-time together. And for people who are employed by others, tax time can be a really exciting time. You get refunds, you get some money back. Not so with small business owners, okay? And so we, like everybody else, paid our estimates, we paid our quarterly taxes, but we got to tax time that year. And we realized we had severely miscalculated something. And so we find ourselves, we think into ourselves, oh man, we're going to go in, we're going to either break even or we're going to get some small refund back. Like we, we were good, we paid our estimated taxes, all of that stuff, and we miscalculated something. And it turned out we had a $6,000 tax bill that was dropped on us. Now, that may not sound like a lot for a business owner, but when you're young and you're 20 and you're saving up for a house and you're newly married and finances are tight, that was a blow to us. It was a blow. And it was our fault, completely our fault. And I I just remember, like, man, April 15, it's coming, it's coming. And, like, I don't know how we're going to pay this. I don't know what we're going to do. I remember laying in bed awake at night, like, how are we going to pay our rent How are we going to put food on the table? Like as a husband in that moment, I I let my wife down. I let my family down. How, How are we going to survive? How are we going to make it? Just this constant worry. And then with everything in me, I wanted to have a one talent mentality, right? Bury and protect, bury and protect. And yet so clearly God said this to me. He said, I want you right now in this season to give $1,000 in scholarships to go towards NTS camp for students in your church. And I remember laughing out loud to God, saying, God, you don't have all the facts. Like, do you see the situation that we're in right now? It doesn't make sense. It's not okay. I don't know how to even provide for my family right now. And yet you're calling me to step out in this bold act of faith. That is just financial stupidity said, just do it. Just do it. So we did. We reluctantly wrote a check and and gave $1,000 to to go watch students go to camp. And like Jess was saying, I could tell you, you know, God showed up a $6,000 check in the mail for us the next day, and none of that is true. None of that happened. But by his grace, I mean, we were able to scrape enough by to pay for the, the tax bill on time, sponsor the kids. And it, it, it worked itself out. But here's what's so significant to me for that story. This is why I share that story with you. Because let's say we hadn't given that money to Never the Same Camp or to students to be able to go to camp in that moment. I imagine we probably still would have gotten by fine and figured out the 6,000. I don't think that would have been a problem. But we actually got to go to camp with those students that summer. And we got to witness up close and personal God transform lives. We saw students that we had sponsored give their lives to Christ. We saw students recommit their lives to Christ. We saw students get called into full-time ministry. Kids, I know right now who are pursuing degrees or working at churches right now in full-time pastoral ministry because of that week at camp. So, so the reason I tell you that story is like, yeah, it's really cool to be able to be an independent, distant observer to what God is doing through other people's faith. But there is nothing like being a participant with God in that. Nothing compares to that. Nothing compares to living out of faith where we are up close, where we get front row seats to the work that he is doing in the lives of other people. And all of that stems from when we choose, even when it feels scary, even when it feels risky, to be obedient with what we have and to step out in bold faith and invite him to do more. Guys, I want that so badly for us. I think of Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, with your eyes on God's mercy and his generosity and his kindness, in view of that mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, when we offer what we have in faith, he does something with it. An offering is leaving nothing in my life off limits to the God who multiplies what is given in faith. So, once again, I ask that same question, what if God poured out his spirit on us as a church because we refused to play it safe when it came to offering him everything? I don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in this region because we buried and protected, because we played it safe. I don't want to miss out on what God has for us because we chose to play it scarce. There are some of you who have been entrusted with a resource. And instead of a new boat <laughs> or an upgraded truck or, something, or that new house, God is calling you to offer it to him for his kingdom. Maybe not even here, maybe somewhere else. But God is calling you. You have, you have resource and you have money. You have one talent or two talents or five talents. And God is saying, I am calling you to offer this for the sake of my kingdom. Get your eyes off the earthly prize and get your eyes on the heavenly prize. And I promise you, you will have so much more to experience when you, when you live that way. I promise you that. He wants to do more. He's entrusting our church with more. We will not be a church that buries and protects. We will be a church that moves boldly in faith. So I want to just kind of close by offering you this question in closing. What is God calling you to offer him in bold faith? What is God calling you to offer him in bold faith? I want to invite the band up here as as we close out. And as we close, I just want you to kind of wrestle through this. What is God calling you to offer him in bold faith? You know, as I think about just even the last few years for us as a church, I am so overwhelmed by the faith that exists and lives in this community. Like, I want you to hear that. Be encouraged. And I remember when we were stepping out in faith to expand the space next door. It was 2021. We were still kind of height of the pandemic and God was just saying, I want you to take on the lease for that space. I want you to live boldly. I want you to expand the space. And I just remember thinking like, we're never going to use it. <laughs> what a joke. We're never going to use it. We are running out. Yeah, it shows what I know. We are running out of space every single weeknight with small groups meeting in that space. We have ac- actually a local church I'm probably not even allowed to say this, but a local church here in town that has offered us their parsonage for additional meeting space for weeknights, which is so cool. And so I I just share that with you to say, like, God moves in bold faith. I remember having phone calls with people during that season while we were trying to fundraise for that. Literally, guys on the phone with me saying, I had my eye on a new boat, but I have a boat and it's fine. Here's $10,000 for God to move in the way that he can. And others who said, you know what? Money's really tight right now. Here's $100, and that's just as beautiful. See, God promises to do what only he can do, and this isn't about money. This is about faith. This is about the kind of faith that says when we give up control, when we step out, when we are a little bit bold and a little bit risky with what God has trusted us with, and we are obedient to him, he's going to do some pretty cool things. My life is a testament to that. And like I said, I don't always get this right. Our life as a church can be a testament to that. What if God poured out his spirit fresh on this community because we were not willing to play it safe with what he's given us? What if God poured out his spirit fresh on this community because we we trusted him with what he's given us? We trusted him, not even just financially. This goes across the board. What if we trusted him with our circumstance? What if God pours out his spirit fresh on us because we trust him with our pain? What if God pours out his spirit fresh on us because we trust him with our uncertainty? What if God pours out his spirit on us because we're li- willing to let him consume some things in our lives. What if God pours out his spirit fresh on us? Because we went and shared the gospel with the co-worker that we know doesn't know Jesus. What if God pours out his spirit fresh on us? Because we say yes before we know all of the house, Before we know how it's going to work itself out. What if God poured out his spirit fresh on us? Because we said yes to Jesus in everything. I think about the heroes of the faith in the scriptures. I think about people like Mary and Abraham. People who literally said to the statement, the statement to God, Here I am, Lord, I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you ask in all things, the answer is already yes. Whatever you ask. Gen Z, I want to talk to you for a moment here. You guys are one of the most creative, innovative, forward-thinking, passionate, driven groups of people that I know. I have so much respect for you. I want to challenge you to channel that talent, channel that ambition, channel that energy into a relentless pursuit of the things of the kingdom of God a relentless pursuit of the things of Jesus, and you will light the world on fire. God will pour his spirit fresh out on your generation. He's doing it right now. What if God poured out his spirit fresh on us because we were willing to put everything on the altar and say, God, do what you will with it. We just want more of you. Let me offer a prayer, and then we're going to respond in worship. Father, our offering to you today is everything and nothing less. God, I pray that we as people will be bold in living out our faith. That we will find ourselves in situations where you have to come through, Lord. Where there's no other option but to have total and utter dependence on you. God, I pray that we don't declare the end of our story because of what we lack before you ever get a hold of it. God, I know there's people in this room right now. I know there's people watching online right now who are navigating the unimaginable in their lives. God, my prayer is that in their relentless pursuit of you, they won't declare the end of their story before you've gotten a hold of it. Before you've done what only you can with it. And so God, today we just commit, we'll take one more step of faith and then another one and then another one. That we'll live out the faith of people like Hattie who offer what we have before we ever see the results, before we ever see the outcome. And we trust that you multiply, that you move, and that you are for us. God, we love you. And the only reason we love you is because you first loved us and you offered everything first. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen.